Thank you, Brother Cliff. Um, service is going to look just a little bit different at this point than it normally does. I want to ask Brother Mark, Brother Adam Reynolds, and Brother Adam Scott to come up with me. We want to share with you just briefly, just briefly this morning, and also we're going to share briefly next Sunday morning and, and also um, the Sunday morning after that. We're not all going to talk every time. This morning's a good example of that. Adam Reynolds is going to be sharing this morning. But we want to just share our, our hearts for the, like the direction that we believe we need to proceed on Sunday evening. So with that, Adam Reynolds. Um, I feel very honored uh, to introduce this topic, I guess, to you guys, because this is something that is very near and dear to my heart. Um, just to kind of give you guys a, a background, um, just in my life, um, I'm from here in Campbellsville, uh, grew up here, but when me and Tracy got married, we moved to Louisville. And the first thing that we did was look for a fellowship, a congregation. And you guys may have heard me share this testimony before, but I had about five or six churches that were on my list that I had already researched, gone out and looked for, and I was, I was ready to go and, and check them out because I was excited to join fellowship with them. And seven or eight weeks I had gone through and visited several churches, and the... Um, I had a coworker. We hadn't made a decision yet. I had a coworker. He's like, "Hey, won't you come to church with us?" And I was like, ah, "Sorry, man, uh, that's not on my five or six top list of churches. Uh, I don't even know what the name of your church is. I've never heard of it." Uh, he's like, "Come on, man, just give us a try." Um, so I did, and uh, it was good. They preached the word of God. It was solid. It was awesome. And then my friend said, "Hey, won't you come tonight?" Uh, at uh, one of the members of uh, our congregation, we have a small group, and uh, we uh, would like for you to come. And I was like, okay, well, this is quick, but sure, what do we do there? And he's like, well, we, we, we eat a meal, and then we open up the Bible, we study the Word, and uh, we get together and just encourage one another. I was like, okay, well, this this is okay, we'll try, try it out, never done this. And we, me and Tracy went home came back that evening and went and participated. And after that night, we got back in the car and we just kind of did the big sigh. Like, we looked at each other and we were like, this is where the Lord has us. And it was in that small group that I saw people living life together, the Christian life. They were holding one another accountable. They were encouraging one another. And they were seeking to build one another up in the Lord as they go out the other six days of the week, seeking to be light and truth to a dying world. And we have been so encouraged over those five years. And then also as we've come here, we came here, Blake and Todd, they had started small groups and I cannot tell you how encouraged I have been to get to rub shoulders with uh, these guys and you out here to speak truth into my life week after week um, and just to seek to make disciples of one another. Um, so 
with that said, what I'm, uh, what we're introducing is what we're calling life groups. Um, this is uh, formerly called community groups from last year, last spring, that was held on Sunday nights downstairs in the fellowship hall, um, where we got together and sought to have uh, a discipleship uh, of one another uh, each Sunday evening. Um, so I guess my, my, w- the, the question that I want to pose to you guys is how do you live the Christian life? How do you live the Christian life? Is it solo, Lone Ranger style, all alone? Or is it together with one another? And I think you all would say it's together with one another. That's why we gather here. But Sunday nights, these small groups, life groups, as we're going to be calling them, is going to do what maybe we can't do uh, time-wise on a Sunday morning. Uh, It's going to allow us to break up and have some intentional conversations about, man, what did you get from that word uh, that was preached this morning? How did it affect you? Um, And from my experience, it has always been that somebody else brings something else to my attention that I totally did not get. But I totally needed to hear my brother and sister speaking that and, and me just saying, wow, that was, I'm so glad that we took the time to sit here and talk about this uh, because that was a blind spot of mine. Um, and I'll be just candid. I need encouragement. I believe Mark here would say the same thing. Adam and Todd, we need encouragement. I would say that you too would say that you need encouragement in this Christian life. And that's our hope in life groups is to be encouraging one to another. I'll share one passage of scripture with you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, here it is, but encouraging one another, and just to top it off, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Brothers and sisters, as we look out on the news in our world, as we live this life, the day of the Lord is drawing near. And might we not neglect to meet together to encourage one another in this life. That is our hope. Um, I guess that's probably enough today. I'm sure other guys will share more in the, in the weeks to come. But I just wanted to take the time to introduce this. Uh, life groups. Um, beginning of March. So mark that on your calendar. First week in March is when we're going to start this. That will give us a full eight weeks before summer hits. And our hope is during that time that we can facilitate just a time of community and love with one another as we live this thing called life, the Christian life. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Adam. More more next week. But just be praying about how you can be involved. We would love to have you here. This morning, as we begin, I want to say we're going to be in the book of Jude this morning. I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn there. And and maybe you're hearing Jude this morning and thinking, yeah, I'm not exactly sure where that is in my Bible. Well, let me tell you an easy way to find it. 
Turn to the book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible. Jude is a one-chapter book that is immediately before the book of Revelation. I I preached a sermon from this particular book about almost three years ago, but um, God put it on my heart again for this morning to take another look at the book of Jude. So I want to remind you that Jude is the author of the book of Jude. I guess that is probably not a shock. Uh, Jude was a brother of James, and he wrote this somewhere in the time period of AD 60 to AD 80. And there is a theme, just like that we have seen recently in the books that we have been in, there is a theme that we see up here, even though there is just one chapter, and it's this, that believers should remain firm in the faith, and they should resist the influence of false teachers. And I hope that when you hear the term false teachers, that that rings a bell with you. Because remember, during the time that we spent in the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, one of the reasons that John was writing was to combat these teachings of false teachers. I want to share just a brief outline of how Jude has laid out his book. He begins with a greeting, and then he wastes absolutely no time in telling of the purpose for which he is writing. He talks about, he spends a few verses talking about the judgment that will come on these false teachers. And then he has a section where it's just an exhortation to persevere. And I just want to stop there for just a minute and say, you know, there are times in our Christian walk that we need an exhortation to persevere. Maybe you would think about it. You need a cheerleader, somebody that says, Keep going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's worth it. Do not depart from the truth of the gospel. Stand on the word of God. If you follow Jesus for any length of time, you know that this journey is not necessarily easy. And it helps when there are others who are walking with us to bear our burdens. Now, you know, normally... I read the entire text and have you to stand. I'm not going to do that today because we are dealing with more verses than normal. And I want to try to be as conscious of the time that we, that we possibly can, but also to cover God's Word this morning. And so this morning, the title of the message is The Call to Contend for the Faith. And I want you to realize this morning, church, we do have that call. If you're here and you're in Christ, we have a call to contend for the faith. And I want to tell you that, unfortunately, there will be men all over the world this morning that will stand behind pulpits, and some of them will proclaim things that directly contradict the Word of God. They will. They will do that. There are going to be people today that will stand behind pulpits that will tell you that there is absolutely nothing wrong with activities that the Bible clearly identifies as sin. I want you to hear this morning. There is something wrong with it. There is something grossly wrong with it. I want us to leave here this morning realize that if we are truly following Christ, then there is a call on our lives to, to both contend and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's put on our spiritual armor Let's put on our spiritual armor and get ready for the battle. Get ready for the battle. So Jude, when he begins, he, 
he starts with his greeting. He tells us the purpose that he is writing. So he identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. He tells us that he is the brother of James. And then he is writing to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And then he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Isn't that beautiful this morning? I wonder, is there anybody here that needs mercy? Is there anybody here that needs peace? Is there anybody here that needs love? I do. Am I the only one who needs it? Absolutely not. We all need it. And notice that Jude asked that it be multiplied to you. Not that you just get it, but it be multiplied to you. And then he wastes no time telling why he's writing. Take a look at verse 4. You see, there were certain people, as he describes them, These are false teachers, and they have crept in unnoticed. And church, we've got to realize that many times that's exactly how they work. They come in, they look like a church person. They look like a church person. They gain your trust, and then they begin to depart from God's Word. And then, unfortunately, people begin to follow a man instead of following Christ. That's dangerous, folks. I want to remind you this morning how sin initially entered the picture. Remember in the Garden of Eden how, it was, how sin came into the picture? It was introduced by way of a question. Did God really say? Did God really say? Yes, He did. Yes, He did. Yes, He meant it. Yes, He still does. He still does. We've got to suit up with our spiritual armor and defend the Word of God. And notice what these false teachers were doing. He says that they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Serious, serious business. And so now we see Jude is going to expose the false teachers. Now, wouldn't you think, as, as we prepare to look at these verses, wouldn't you think that people would have known that God could not be treated like this without some type of serious consequences? Wouldn't it seem that they would remember Israel Wouldn't it seem that they would remember the angels that rebelled against God? Wouldn't it seem that they would remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Wouldn't it seem? Yes, it it would seem, wouldn't it? Yes, it would seem that way. But let me tell you something. There are people today that they're thought process is so twisted that it is hard for them to deal with reason. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this or not. It, it comes up with me most of the time when someone is trying to talk to me and try to make a t- case that they don't see anything wrong with homosexuality. Now hear me say at the beginning, there is something wrong with homosexuality. The Bible identifies it as sin. Clearly, 
But I will never forget the first time I brought up an example of Sodom and Gomorrah. And their response to me was, but that's in the Old Testament. As if the Old Testament doesn't apply. That is the thought process of so many people today who try to justify sin. But I would like to remind you that this morning we're in the book of Jude that is in which testament? The New Testament. I want to be sure you clearly see that he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't don't ever forget that. And I want to tell you one more time, church. If you get to a point where you are willing to relax your opinion on sin, you better be prepared to travel roads that you don't want to travel. And you better be prepared to spend more than you ever wanted to pay. Now in verse 5, he's referring to Israel here, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe Judas telling us what's going to happen, what the outcome is of people like this. Verse 6, angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And then verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah. There it is, right here in the New Testament. These examples serve as examples for us of what will happen What will happen? Don't miss that. And then in verse 8, we see that Jude continues to describe the false teachers. He says that they rely on their dreams. They rely on their dreams. They have apparently claimed some type of divine revelation as the result of a dream that they've had. Church, I'm going to tell you that's dangerous. If somebody tells you they've had a dream and they believe that God has spoke to them through that dream, you better be asking, what did you think he said to you in the dream? And I can tell you this with assurance. If it does not line up with the Word of God, it was not God that spoke to them in the dream. Be careful. Be careful what you entertain. Be careful. In a nutshell, these... False teachers blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. And for the sake of time this morning, I am going to move on. Verse 11, Jude names three sins these false teachers had committed. Number one, they walk in the way of Cain. Remember Cain and Abel. Number two, they abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's error. Now, just to give you a quick um, description of what he's talking about here. Remember, Balaam was hired by Balak to put a curse on the Israelites. Balaam did it for money. Jude warned about opposing God for money. And then he mentions those who perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah rebelled against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. He refused to acknowledge that God had placed them in authority over Hebrews. If you're taking notes this morning, jot down Numbers chapter 16. You'll read all the details of it there. But Jude is likely giving an example here of what is eventually going to happen 
to these false teachers. And then in verses 12 and 13, we see him go into greater detail about these false teachers. He says these are godless people and they're deceptive leaders. And somehow on the top of that, they had somehow worked their ways into positions of shepherds of churches. Now think about how dangerous that is, church. These so-called shepherds were not following Jesus Christ. And that is a dangerous, dangerous situation. You see, these people were about to cause a shipwreck for the church. And get this, they saw absolutely nothing wrong with what they were doing. Isn't that just how sin works when we think about it? You know, when you first commit a sin, there's that feeling. This is wrong. I shouldn't be doing it. But then if you go ahead and do it, it becomes a little bit easier the next time, doesn't it? And a little bit easier. And a little bit easier. And before you know it, those people will be attacking anyone who tries to stand on the Word of God. Remember, church, we've been called to defend the gospel We have not been called to defend sin. And then we see Jude wrap up his discussion here on these false teachers in verses 14 through 16. He says they're self-serving. They are self-serving people. Jude first mentions a prophecy by Enoch about God's judgment on the ungodly. He's reminding these people of that. They need to know what was going to happen. Jude declared that the godless people of his day were among the ones being referred to when Enoch prophesied. You know, when Jesus returns with thousands and thousands of angels, he will judge the ungodly acts of these people and the harsh things that they've done. In verse 16, he goes on to say that these people are grumblers. They are malcontents. A good way to describe this word is fault finders. You know, isn't it easier to find fault in someone else than it is with us? It's human nature, isn't it? Be careful. Be careful for when you listen to people who are constantly finding fault with someone else. There's usually a problem there and a big one. And many times it's not with the person they're pointing the finger at. They are loudmouth boasters following their sinful desires. They show favoritism to gain advantage. Their day is coming. Jude is telling us that. And now, in verse 17 through 23, Jude begins this exhortation. He begins to tell these people, persevere even when it's difficult He starts by reminding them of something that they already know, but perhaps they hadn't thought about it. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is telling them that one of the scriptures he's referring to here is Acts 20, verses 29 and 30, where these false teachers are described as fierce wolves not sparing the flock. We must realize that's exactly what they are. Now, Jude reminds us here, in the last time there will be scoffers. Perhaps you need a definition for that particular word. We can think of it like this. It's a person who 
makes fun of something, typically religion or morality. Have you ever known anybody like that? Look at them. They're one of those church people. Look at them. That's, that's what a scoffer would say. But it's these people who cause division. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Here's the thing with false teachers. There are some people who are so in tune with the Word of God that they would never fall for false teaching. And church, I pray that's where every one of you are. I pray that you are spending quality time daily in this book. And if you are not, and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, shame on you. Shame on you. Church, we do everything. We make time for everything that's truly important to us. This book should be important. And if it's not, there is a problem. Get in this Word. Stay there. Stay there. It is the way you detect false teaching. One of the problems that occurs in our society so many times today, people that call themselves Christians don't know what's in the book. They do not know what's in the book. Everything that sounds like it might be biblical is not. Guess what? Not once in Scripture are we told to follow our heart. Not once. Now, how many times do you hear that advice coming out of the mouth of somebody who's Christian? Just follow your heart. You better not follow your heart. You better not follow your heart. What does Scripture tell us about our hearts? They're evil. They're deceptive. Is that something we want to follow? Get in God's Word and stay there. Never depart from it. He tells us in His Word that His Word never returns what? Void. And it doesn't. It never returns void. So how do we prepare? How do we actually prepare to defend ourselves against something like this? Jude tells us, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We see Jude mention four different things in these two verses. First of all, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. What's this mean? It means that as Christians, there's this expectation and we're supposed to grow spiritually. We are supposed to grow spiritually. We've got to learn as much as we possibly can about God's Word. We have got to believe and obey God's Word. Number two, we've got to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is talking about praying under the direction and under the influence of the Holy Spirit and then doing what? Trusting Him to intercede with us with groans that words cannot express. Number three, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, this verse is often misinterpreted. Let me tell you what this verse does not mean. It does not mean that our salvation is based on our works. It does not mean that. I want you to hear this morning. Once you are truly saved, you're not going to lose it. You are not going to lose that salvation. Let's just face it. If I could lose my salvation, I would. I would. 
if it were possible to lose it, I would. It is not humanly possible to do enough good stuff to earn your salvation. You see, we're told in the book of Romans that there are no good people. No good people. So don't think that you can earn your salvation. But we must live our lives in faith and in obedience to God. We're told in the book of John that if we love God, we will do what? Keep His commandments. So when we look at at today's text, we've got to realize that to keep ourselves in the love of God, we must obey God's Word. And then number four, it says we are waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's face it, Jesus could come back at any moment. And the reality of it is, whether he physically comes back to earth today, he's coming for some of his people today. Since I have been here this morning, I've heard of the passing of one of my friends that I have known for probably 50 years that I just happened to see last Sunday afternoon right at this church at a funeral. She wasn't expecting to die this week. I'll just tell you about that. She was not expecting to die. But praise God, she knew Christ as our Lord and Savior, and I know where she is today. I wonder, do you know where you'll be if Jesus should come back for you today? Are you ready? Let's just face it. If we are not ready for Jesus to come back today, there's no way that we're ready to defend defend the gospel. We're not. We're not ready. Keep your eyes upon Him. In verses 22 and 23, Jude identifies three groups of people. I am going to quickly close now, so I I ask for your attention. I tell you what, let's stop just a minute. I want to pray. Father, I thank you for your word that is powerful. Father, I also sense that that Satan is causing us to think about the time, that it's time that we should be out instead of the preacher continuing to preach. Father, I pray in these last couple or three minutes of this sermon, I pray, I pray that Satan will have no power over this place. Lord, I pray that we will hear the word of God. Father, help me to proclaim it correctly. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. So Jude tells us, have mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt. We've got to realize that less mature Christians might begin to doubt their walk with the Lord, especially in times when it's hard, when the road is hard. So we've got to be merciful to them. We've got to be willing to walk alongside them through the process of accountability. In verse 23, he tells us to save others. This is another group of people. Now, it's most likely referring to here people who are not Christians, people who are not Christians. These people are not doubting their faith because they're not believers to start with. We should warn them about the judgment because it's coming. The judgment is coming. And if these people will repent, then they, in effect, they have been snatched out of the fire of hell. And then also two others. Two others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment 
stained by the flesh. Now, this, this two others group of people refers to godless people whose lives are degenerate. We are to show mercy to these people. We've got to be careful, though, during that process that we don't come under their influence. Because this is the group of people that will tell you, yeah, I'm a believer, but there's nothing wrong with sin. Yeah, I'm a believer, but be careful that they don't influence you and your walk with the Lord. Years ago, I had a good friend, Miss Brenda Lowy, and I will never forget the day that she told me this. She often watches our live stream. Brenda, I hope you're watching today. She said, Todd, be careful what you entertain. Be careful what you entertain. Sin fascinates before it assassinates. And you know that is so true. Satan will allure you with sin and make it look wonderful. There's nothing wonderful about it. You will find yourself a slave to that if you go down that road. As we close this morning, verses 24 and 25 are two of my most favorite verses of Scripture in the entire Bible. I cannot tell you the number of times over the last few years especially that God has used these two verses to encourage me. And I hope this morning that you hear these verses the same way. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. This morning, the invitation is simply this. If you have a need, Jesus is the answer. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is the answer. If you're carrying a burden, Jesus is the answer. If you're struggling with something else, Jesus is the answer if we will give it to Him. You see, so often we want to carry it ourselves and not give it to Him. I encourage you this morning, let's lay it at His feet. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk with you and introduce you to Him. There are others here who would also love to introduce you to Jesus. Would you pray with me as our musicians come forward? Father, thank You for bringing us to Your house on this day. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, we know that Your Word is true. Strengthen us each and every day. I pray that we will put on our spiritual armor daily. I pray that we will contend and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, may we spend quality time in your word daily. May we read it. May we absorb it. May we write it on our hearts. May it be written in our memories. And Father, may we stand upon your gospel. May we stand upon the Word of God. 
Monday through Saturday like we do on Sundays. Father, I pray that whatever the needs are throughout the sanctuary this morning, Lord, I know you're sufficient, but I pray that we will give those to you. May this be a day that you do the exceedingly abundantly, the immeasurably more than our minds can even think to ask or imagine. And may Jesus be forever glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.